my son who usually does the morning rabbit chores <laughs> goes down the next day and he's like um he's like there's pink aliens all over the floor inside of the city the people are crazy out of their minds they ain't got a clue for Montana left family and friends all I got now is you we both got new jobs a host and a homestead thinking this was the life all that there'd be after our firstborn you had to stay home that's when the work got in the way for me well, I started farm hop life. You'll come to your farm to help and to wander. Me and the family, a truck and an RV, send us a message and there will be. Hey, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I was I was hitting record and it takes a second before it starts to go. Uh, this is the Farm Hop Life podcast, a traveling homestead family. I'm Matt DeRozier. Tonight, my guest is Ben Hussman. His wife, Allison, and their two kids moved from Chicago to Western North Carolina a year ago, and they started a homestead. Allison homeschools, Ben works a tech job remote, and they're currently raising angoras, chickens, and geese, planting trees, and planning for the future. I mean, you're only in it for a year. That's I'm curious about <laughs> the progress that you've made thus far. Um, let's uh, let's let's get into that a little bit. So, yeah, you you moved from Chicago to North Carolina. Smart. That's right. Smart move. That's the that's the first smart move. Um, is this your first homestead? Yeah, this would be this would be the first, and I'm I'm really hesitant to even call it a homestead. I think I feel better now that we have chickens. <laughs> I feel like I'm. I can call it a homestead, but yeah, that's what we're looking for. Sure. Yeah, well, not so much imposter, but just like I, I need to feel like I'm actually doing the stuff. You know, when we first moved out here, um, you, well, I could, should probably roll back a little bit. But when we were, yeah. we were in Chicago, um, you know, we had we had thought about moving to uh, Upper Michigan for quite some time and had kind of scoped out different areas that we liked and because we, mm. we would often go there for vacation and kind of looking at that as a place. And then uh, the COVID thing threw everybody's world up in the air. And my wife went to Charlotte, North Carolina to visit a friend. Uh, and they went hiking in the area that we, we live now. And she came home and she's like, I want to move there. And, uh, and pretty much all the things that we, you know, that we loved about Chicago, that were valuable to us sort of had just disappeared in the COVID era. era. So my kid's school shut down. My wife started homeschooling, which was something that she was thinking about doing anyway. And uh, my, my job went remote. And then I subsequently got another job that was all remote. And it was kind of like, well, why don't we try to go somewhere? And, uh, we started looking in this area and it didn't take us too long to find a place. And then all of a sudden we were moving and I kind of like my motivation was to get out of the city, to be closer to nature. 
Um, I, you know, I grew up going on vacations to national parks and I really like being outside. It's part of what makes me feel alive. And mm -hmm. so, you know, as we were thinking about coming here, like I was thinking about, well, so we've got 20 acres of forest behind the house, forest mountain nice. slope behind the house. And then about the house and in the front is about 10 acres and it's, it's slopey. I mean, it's not, it's a lot of it's pasture slope. And, um, you know, I, I was thinking, well, I got to figure out how to maintain this forest and I want to make trails through the forest. And I'm like reading books on forestry and, and thinking about, well, that's what I, that's where my head was at. And, um, you know, my wife was thinking more about some gardening and some things like that. And then we came out here and we were just overwhelmed with how beautiful it was, but also just, I had a, I sort of had a totally different take on what I needed to do here. Sure. Um, as so you know it's like all of a sudden i'm all of a sudden instead of like focusing on the forest which i haven't i've only even walked up to the top of the mountain once you know it's like i'm i'm looking at these front slopes that are overgrown and so one of the first things i did was bought a chainsaw figured out how to use a chainsaw bought a wood chipper and started clearing um a slope that's sort of in front of our house uh, for an orchard space. So, um, I cut down a bunch of like in this area, tulip poplars grow like weeds. And so hmm. the lady who had, had lived here before she was a widower and had lived here on her own for, I don't know, eight or nine years. Um, and she maintained the property pretty well, but she let a lot of things just grow up as you would, if you were you know, a lady in your seventies <laughs> living on this land. So I basically just took out, you know, probably hundreds of these trees that were anywhere from saplings to, I don't know, eight, eight or nine inches in diameter um, and cleared a space for some orchard. My wife bought uh, a bunch of pawpaw trees and um, she thought she was buying them to be delivered in the spring. And they were delivered in the fall. So it was like a mad rush. We got, it's like, we got the notification, pawpaws are coming in a week. And I'm like, what? So I'm clearing and chipping and we're, you know, figuring out how, how to terrace the slope enough to, to make good spots for the trees. And then uh, out there in the middle of the night, like all homesteaders are with headlamps and, you know, pound tea posts and <laughs> doing all that stuff in the middle of the night during the rain to get the trees in. Um, you know, so that's kind of been the story of a lot of our planting and our tree planting is like order stuff and then sort of prepare. And then when it <laughs> when it gets closer, it's like, oh, it's it's go time. We've got to do it now. Um, but yeah, we planted a, planted a bunch of pawpaws and um, a number of cherry trees and peach trees and uh, some chestnut trees and nothing on the scale. I mean, I'm 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 like super humbled by the scale of some of some of the folks that we, you know, were on Twitter with or whatever mm -hmm. that, that are planting, you know, hundreds of trees, but, you know, on top of homeschooling and having a full-time job and, and everything else, like I, I feel pretty, <laughs> pretty proud of whatever, what we've been able to pull off in a year. So we, we planted a, a bunch of trees and a bunch of berry bushes and, um, and then, uh, and really just trying to, f just learning how to, kind of exist in a totally different environment. Um, right. We had in Chicago, we had a bit of a yard and we did have a, a bit of a garden and I, I cultivated mushrooms in the garage and, 
we did some other things. So, you know, it wasn't like growing was like completely foreign, but it's a different, the scale of having, you know, having a, a yard that's less than a quarter or a whole property that's less than a quarter of an acre in Chicago to having, you know, 10 acres and pasture that I need to tend to, uh, and, you know, whatever else is happening, trees falling down and, uh, you know, driveways getting washed out and just like, you name it, whatever plumbing issues. Um, yeah. and so all the things that kind of come along with really being a landowner or a homeowner were things that we needed to figure out too. So, um, a lot of our time has just been like, okay, well, what do we do, you know, with this pasture? I don't have fence. So, you know, and we're not sure what our permanent plan is. So it's like, well, I want to, I want to get some ruminants out there to start doing the work for me, but I also need fence. And I also am not sure how I want to organize the property because I think if I was, would have been thinking homestead when we bought the property, I might've, I mean, I love the place we're at and actually really glad we're here, but I think I might've chosen a little differently because we're, our house is on the slope and pretty much all the areas that we might, we might tend to, you know, require walking up and down hills. And so we don't have anything that's like walk out your, you know, walk out your door and have a reasonably flat approach to anywhere there that could be animals or a garden or anything like that. So that's, a little bit of a downside to to where we're at um i don't know i'm just rambling i can't remember what you asked me year one stuff but (laughs) it was it was not what i i'm doing we're doing stuff that i didn't expect to be doing you know i kind of sort of imagine it in my mind as oh this will kind of be like living in chicago only i'll walk outside and it'll be beautiful and you know i don't know there won't be any takeout (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right right well all right. those things are true <laughs> all the, those things are true but uh that's not that's not really what i feel like we're up to here anymore which is which is different um and appropriate yeah. so when i when i asked you to to give people a little bit of a backstory when i asked you to come on the podcast and be like hey just i'm curious curious what you do and uh and you're like, I don't, I don't really have a whole lot to share. And I'm like, I don't know, you got, you must have like some wisdom. And you basically horse laughed in my face, uh, and uh, that hurt. But uh, I, I got over it. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, and it's, uh, it's just like first year stuff that you, that you, that you screw up. And the other point I was gonna make was. You got red pilled really hard. Uh, you got out of Chicago and you homeschooled your kids and you started a homestead. Like you were, yeah, uh, I suppose that's true. You're not supposed to eat the whole bowl. <laughs> well, that's now that would be an interesting conversation to have with my wife too, because we've we both not not that I want to talk about uh, politics, but it sort of overlaps with kind of these political spheres i think you know we were we were in chicago and i think both of us would have self-described as fairly liberal people and um and you know we've recently been having conversations like oh i think we're conservatives now aren't we 
it's like how did that oh, how did that happen <laughs> no but i mean it's like well you know i started like it was like i think about maybe six months ago i would have said well i'm pretty much liberal but i've got these viewpoints that align with conservatives are not really sort of independent and now it's like well most of my viewpoints <laughs> seem to align with conservatives and and i don't feel i mean i guess both of us would feel kind of politically homeless in in that sense um but what i'm but i think I think before we moved out here, I think the thing that's driving um, a lot of what we're doing is is this idea of embodiment and being in the real world, you know, and not being, I mean, obviously I'm spending time on Twitter. I have a job that's a, you know, uh, an email job as folks like to say. Um, but, you know, be like having a life where mostly we're just, we're, embodying ourselves we're not out in the metaverse we're here with people and with things we're taking care of animals we're cooking our food um even you know there's just not like even if i if it, even if i wanted to like not make my own food there's not a lot of options here so it's like i enjoy cooking and that's part of why we love food um and making and wanting to grow our own food is because we love quality ingredients and i really love to cook uh so it's that's part of the part of all of it but yeah i think what's driving a lot of what um i think our i guess our red pilling is is just being present and in our bodies and doing things in the real world uh, and not <laughs> not the other thing right if you will i got gotcha. you so um Man, uh, I got to be honest with you. Uh, I've heard the getting getting into some of what you're doing. Uh, what's I've heard the name Angoras before, and I didn't look at uh, what is that. Those are well, they're Angora rabbits, and so oh, they're okay. they're this the really super fluffy rabbits. Um, okay, and so what my my wife she uh, she knits, and uh, she wanted to keep some rabbits for fiber. And so mm. last last fall around Thanksgiving, we got uh, two Angoras and um, the lady who sold it, sold them to, <laughs> to us, talked her into uh, getting taking these two brothers, um, which I think we, was a mistake. Uh, and so we have these two, we have these little two, two guys. And then, um, and the thing about, young boy rabbits is they're really friendly until they hit puberty and then they want to kill each other so we used to put them out on the deck i kind of there's a there's an area of the deck where just to let them walk around we just i put up a bit of fence and we used to put them out on the deck together and they were kind of living together and then there was just one morning like i go to take them out and i set them down on the deck and it's like the day before they were just friendly as could be that that day i dropped them down it was like yeah we want to kill each other. And so it was like, whoa, stop. We got to separate them. So we separated them and then we bought, um, we found a lady who was, who was trying to rehome uh, a female. And then uh, we, we went on a breeding adventure, which was kind of fun uh, and interesting. It's been a learning experience. <laughs> but the funny thing about Angoras is they're, they're so fluffy. They're, they've got so much hair that you actually like in order to, to facilitate breeding yet you've got to like trim and shave all this hair so that they can even like 
get the parts together. So we, uh, <laughs> so we did. So the first time we tried to breed them, it's like the the one the 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 rabbits' names. The male rabbits are named Rampus and Rumpus, and so we we had Rampus or excuse me, we had Rumpus outside trying to trying to breed with our female, which is uh, Grenadine, and Rumpus is just he is humping her all over the deck and it's like nothing is happening. And so we, <laughs> we had to try the a next day effort. after doing some shaving, did a bit of shaving, a little bit of trimming. And then the next day. So when a male rabbit like does its deed, you know that it's done because they basically like flop over. So, um, <laughs> so when, so, you know, he's humping her around and then all of a sudden he's like, Phew. and then the, the other cool thing about rabbits and why they're so prolific in terms of breeding is that the the females actually release the egg in response to the sperm or whatever? I guess it's sperm, right? They're right. all sperms, um, and so the, you don't have to like time an ovulation cycle or anything. It's like hmm. so pretty much if the if the guy passes out, there's going to be babies. And so we started the hmm. clock on on grenadine, and she's you know, it's going on and it's, you know, supposed to be 30 to 33 days, like clockwork, they're going to have their babies and we're kind of getting things ready and stay 34. And we're like, yeah, maybe it's just, you know, maybe you just didn't, didn't get it done. You know, maybe we thought we did and, and we didn't. And then my son who usually does the morning rabbit chores <laughs> goes down the next day and he's like, um, he's like, there's pink aliens all over the floor. And uh, <laughs> how old? How old's your son? Ten. Ten. Um, so he he goes down. He's like, "There's pink aliens all over the floor," and I'm like, "What? What?" And I ran down there, and of course, we made some mistakes because you do this when you don't know what you're doing. And um, the cage we had grenadine in <laughs> didn't have tight enough um, bars to keep the babies in, so she lets out this litter. And they're all just crawling for whatever. And most of them crawl out of the cage and fall to the garage floor. Oh no. So so I've got I've got all these pink rabbit babies. And if you've ever seen rabbit babies, they're ugly as sin. I mean, they really are just they're horribly ugly. They, they, they do look like little pink aliens. And so I'm picking these guys up and I'm like, oh, I can't believe it. I'm gonna they're all gonna die. And you know, and I'm and so we're all frantic. And we the other thing about bunnies apparently is that um the mothers don't have a strong mothering instinct to start mm. with they have to they have to acquire it somehow so a lot of times the first litter of a mother they won't take care of it or they just they'll lose a lot so mm -hmm. um so we were trying to make a nest because she wasn't going to make a nest even when she was pregnant so we we're making a nest and we're trying to put in her hair and do all this stuff and get the bunnies in and like day one they all live and then the next day like two of them are sitting outside the box and they're dead and then there's more dead outside the box and we, <laughs> it's like a week goes by and we've got two we've got two healthy baby bunnies that she is taking care of and so i felt we've, we all, at that point we felt like it was a win <laughs> but we're hoping right. the next time we're hoping the next time that we breed her because she did what was interesting and I don't have any experience with this at all. I could be saying things that are totally wrong, but just, you know, you, you read and you try to learn and, and, and grow, but um, you know, she, 
there was a point that when she started taking care of some of them, you know, and, and her like mothering instinct kicked in. And then we felt like, okay, this is, this is going to work out. But she sort of did like pick these two as winners and sort of cast the other ones out, mm. um, which was, which was interesting to see. And uh, so we have, so we've got, now we have two, two baby bunnies and then the two older, older guys and, and the, and the lady. And uh, anyway, we got to get rid of some of them. <laughs> I guess it's too, it's too many, uh, too many bunnies. I would sure. like to do a, a meat bunny operation um, with, uh, with a different breed because Angoras are just, they're, they, you can't get them wet or their hair mats. And there's a lot of grooming involved um, that if I was doing meat rabbits, um, I wouldn't have to worry about that. Right. So I'm they're almost have... like for a show, like the state fair or yeah. something. Little, little more for show, but, she, so, but my wife, Allison's been, uh, she brushes out. So you brush it out the fiber and they just, their hair just come kind of comes out and you collect it. And she's got this cool drum thing that takes all the fibers and puts them in a line and then she can spin um, off those off of the drum. So it's, uh, it's cool. She's collecting a lot of fiber and yeah. we'll see where that goes. At some point she'll, she'll be knitting something with uh, fiber from our bunnies, which is, you know, it's kind of cool. Yeah. Does she have a plan I, for the first project? No, not right now. She's, she's, she has, she does one big project a year for herself and then she'll do a lot of other small things. So she's finishing up a sweater right now. That doesn't sound like um, a small project. No, that's the big one. Okay. <laughs> that's, the, that's like the year one. Um, and then she does like, she'll do hats and other things for, for people. And I, I always lose my hats. So she, I think she's done making me hats. Uh, <laughs> You're just going to be cold. <laughs> you don't true. get it anymore. It's that's, true. That's funny. Um, so you're, you're planning for the future for your, uh, for your property. Yep. What, what kind of, so you haven't done like, you haven't done a whole lot yet. Um, so what kind of practices mm -hmm. or methods or techniques are you thinking you want to do on your property? Yeah. So, um, one of the things that Allison just started doing is she's taking a permaculture certification course. Nice. That's and cool. From who? So she, do you remember or no? She'll be sad that I don't remember. That's okay. She, I was when just and curious. If she listens to this. No, she, I, I don't know who, but she's, but the idea of course is you have to have a site project as part of that certification. So she's going to use our site as that. And so that's kind of one of the things that we've been, holding off on is, is being able to have a really smart, more permanent plan in place. Yes. Uh, we have, we have a small garden. We had hoped to have a bigger garden, but I had, uh, I, I had a, a surgery in the winter and didn't recover as quickly as I thought it would. So mm. I, a lot of the spring projects didn't happen <laughs> the way that, that we, we thought they were going to happen. So we have a small garden and um, you know, I was, I, I, instead of building a permanent chicken cook, chicken coop, I ended up building a chicken tractor, uh, in a la and a mad dash to get them out of the brooder <laughs> and, and onto the yard. And that worked out good. I'm actually glad we ended up doing that because where I thought I was going to put a coop, 
now that I've been taking care of the chickens, there's no way I would have wanted to have the coop there. Uh, so I kind of, I didn't, I've read different people talk about, you know, I do want permanent structures and permanent fencing and things like that on the property, yeah. but it is, it is interesting to be able to try with temporary things and see what the pitfalls of different places are. Yeah. Cause even right now I've got this one hill pasture where that I run the chicken tractor up and down. And at that point, at the point I moved him over there, I'm like, oh yeah, this is the spot. This is the permanent poultry spot. And I have some ideas about how I want to make a few different pens and things like that. But um, even as I've been working up and down the hill, I've realized, oh, you know what? Like a structure at the bottom of the hill, it doesn't look like it's that different. But the difference in when I the difference that it like the amount of friction that it creates when the tractor's down toward the bottom of the hill and I've got to bring all the feed and water down there versus in the middle versus in the top, it like, it makes a big difference. And so I'm like, well, mm -hmm. I don't think I'm going to, and I always thought, well, I'm going to put it at the bottom of the hill near kind of where this tree is. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to bring the more permanent structures up to the middle because I know over time that that friction is going to, it's just right. going to hurt, <laughs> you know? And there's this, like, I, uh, I really like this, the, I mean, I think this is part of um, some of the permaculture zone thoughts is, yes. is, is aligns with this idea of friction, which I picked up um, along the way in my life, where, you know, if you, you can really, if you, by adding or removing friction to any sort of activity, you can kind of sort of pre, not control your behavior, but influence your behavior when you're in a mindset to to know what you want instead yeah. of just in the moment so like if i know um if i know that tomorrow i want to this like a bad example but let's say i want to go running i don't run but let's say i did um you know i can make sure i've got all my clothes and my shoes and stuff ready so that when i get out of bed it's just there versus Oh, I kind of want to go running, but where are my shoes? And how the, all the socks are in the dryer. You know, you know, it's like it's easy to let it fall yeah. aside. So, and then you can use that conversely if you want to stop doing something, is to sort of artificially create friction around something you don't want to do. Um, but so I like to I like that concept, and I think <laughs> I think it's important, especially on this land, because when things are far away, like they're far away. You know, they're out of sight, out of mind. We planted some willows down by our creek um, for um, for doing uh, some weaving with. Uh, and they have gotten weeded once because it's like we drive by it all the time. Mm -hmm. But you, if you're going to walk down there, there to weed, you're going to pass five or six other things that need to be done on your way down there. <laughs> you'll never and so far i've never made it back down i weeded it once uh, but i gotta i gotta actually do that again now that i'm talking about it i, I remembered it that's one of those things you're just <laughs> when you drive by it and you got five minutes you're just gonna have to throw the vehicle in park and get out and just weed exactly. for five minutes and then and then go go back to back to, up to the house yeah so i think yeah in terms of like our long-term plans um you know, we'd like, uh, my wife really wants like a mini Jersey 
cow for milk. Nice. Um, and I'm not, I'm okay. I think, okay, maybe we could do that. Um, I'm sure we will. Uh, she also would like uh, alpacas for, again, for fiber. Um, and uh, and we definitely want a couple of, of weathers, a couple of goats that for brush eaten. And, okay. um, and then, and then I, I don't know, I want, I'd like, I'd like, I'd like to keep pigs, um, at least a couple again for clearing and for eating. And then, uh, and then we'll see, maybe, maybe we've got enough room for, for some beef cattle too. I don't, you know, we've got a fair amount of room and we have really good pasture. Um, I'm, I'm, we're very fortunate. I think it was well kept, uh, throughout the years. So, um, I want to put it to use like right now it's not getting it's it's going back to the land it gets cut and then you know it feeds it feeds the soil but it uh i'd, I'd rather be feeding food or I'd rather be making food out of it so exactly yeah um a couple questions sure uh the the grass have you had an analysis done on what it is you actually have and i only ask no because <laughs> My my very first interview, um, he he was like a he's like a first time farmer. I mean, like big farm. I mean, I mean he went big, like 120 acres. Wow. And he's he got he got cattle. And he's like, hell yeah! Look at all this pasture. This is awesome. Like this looks great. And uh, it um, his cows just weren't eating it. He's like, you're picky. Go go eat. And uh, they just like came like right back and just, he just needed to feed him. Hey, he's like, what the heck? And so he went to like the county extension office basically. And they came out and did an analysis and they're like, yeah, um, they basically can't eat any of this. Uh, at least, at least in their current state now for the specific type of like, it's like cheat grass and mustard is what he has. Okay. It's like, he's like, the extension office said like, you know, they can, when it's like the seeds are just too sharp and pokey, it pokes them in the mouth mm -hmm. and they don't like it. Now, when the grass is only like four inches high or whatever, they can eat it then. But that's very early in the year. And so like, so he's working so really he's hard. To, uh, yeah, he's not going to like till it or anything like that. Like he's using like, uh, like chickens to tear it up i actually don't know how he's like received no okay here's what he's doing he's irrigating it because cheatgrass hates lots of water and mm. so he's um over, like basically overwatering it to uh try to bring up other other plants that, that may be down into the soil Dormant. Um, yeah. yeah so that's i don't, I don't know if that's, that's something to look into just to i be sure hope sure. that's not the case I don't think it will be because I know that before we were here, the lady who was living here, somebody was taking the hay for, for feed. Oh, okay. Um, okay. So somebody was coming and, and cutting and taking the hay. Well, that's, just that's a good indicator it. that, uh, that yeah. it's quality. And I had a couple of guys come out. So when, the first year we moved here, I'm like, what am I, what do I do with this hay field? And um, I knew that the lady had had somebody take it, but, he, but the guy who was taking it had, he was an old timer and he was done, you know, he was, he wasn't yeah. going to be doing it anymore. So, um, I started asking her, I tried, 
I didn't know how to ask around, but I started asking around, does anyone want this? Like, please come take it for free, whatever, you know, cut my grass and take it <laughs> basically is what I'm thinking. And, um, I had a few guys come out and look and they were like, I really like your field, but it's not, you know, it's small enough that it's not worth it for me to bring all my equipment out here an hour away from where I'm at sure. this year. I was hoping I would find somebody closer to do the same thing. And I think we just got busy and I missed probably a good window. Mm. Um, and then, um, but the guys who I had come bush hog, uh, he, his cousin lives in the area and probably will take it next year. So okay. if, if I don't, if I don't have anything eating it, um, but yeah, you know, and everybody who came out and looked was like, oh, I really like this field. Like, this is a good field, <laughs> but but I'm not going to take it. I'm not going to come do it. It's a little slopey too, but um, sure. not, not, too, not too much. Is it already fenced or does it need to be fenced? It needs a perimeter fence. There's an old, okay. so one of the cool things about our property is, so we really don't, um, we have people, we sort of live on the side of a mountain and on the other side, there's a couple of houses that you can see in the winter, but you can barely see them in the summer. And then sort of next to us, and they're not really our like street neighbor, but they're sort of our hillside neighbor, um, is a guy who lives there who's been there for 30 years. And um, he's he's become a pretty good friend of ours. He's, he's an older gentleman, uh, but he... And he built his house about 30 years ago. And one of the things he did when he was building the house is he paid this artist, this watercolor artist that he liked to come out and paint a picture from his, what is now his deck. And the coolest thing about this is what they painted the picture of is his view, which is our land. And so there's this there's this sort of a snapshot, it's not a photograph, but there's kind of a snapshot of what our land looked like 30 mm. years ago and there are all these old locust posts and barbed wire that are kind of intermittent through the perimeter and you can see like grazing up and down the slopes are all these uh you know cattle uh from 30 years ago so that was definitely happening here uh 30 sure. years ago and then i don't know when that stopped um but at some point uh it did <laughs> But the, I was gonna, there's a lot of remnants of those old fence or fences around, but they're they're not viable, you know, for keeping animals in. Anymore. Sure. I was gonna say you could have someone pay you to have cattle on that pasture, and you manage it for them just to see if you even like it before you get around. <laughs> like, why would you want to do nope. that? Why would you want to test something out like that? I don't know. <laughs> no, it's that's a wise thing. I I feel like uh I what's interesting about this stuff is like I'm I'm not even I'm not really a pet. Like I'm I've never been really a pet person. I my first marriage we had two cats and I kind of was okay with them. I liked them sometimes, but for the most part I liked them I sometimes. Them. Well, they piss on your shoes, you know, and they make yep. stuff stink. And it's like, I just, you know, it's just too much. <laughs> so, so, uh, um, but 
being out, like one of the one of the things that has surprised me is how much I truly enjoy taking care of uh, our chickens and geese. And I did not, I would not have expected that. Um, I don't feel quite the same way about the rabbits, um, but I, you know, being like I go out and I let them out of the tractor and I feed and water them every morning and I put them away at night. Sometimes the kids help. And um, I don't know, like I, I have, I just ha I find it really satisfying. It's, it's surprised me and it's really surprised me how much I enjoy them as animals and how much I enjoy taking care of them. And I, so I feel like, uh, I feel like the thing that I've, I have most, the most trepidation about is, is anything dairy related because my, sure. my mom grew up on a dairy farm and uh, I grew up in Iowa. So her, her father was a, was a pretty big, had a pretty big dairy op operation. And, you know, I grew up hearing about how, when you have dairy, you never leave you, you know, you, yep. you're on, you're on the cow's schedule. And I think it'd be a little bit different if, you know, if we weren't, had, we didn't have a big dairy operation. Right. But it's one of those things that makes me, it's like, I grew up with the horror stories all, all my life about that. Um, so I'm a little, I have a little trepidation there, but you right. know, in terms of these other animals, I just, it's interesting. I, you know, I want to get some pigs and turkeys and just hang out, hang out with them and feed them and make them happy and then eat them. <laughs> make them happy and then eat them. I like yeah. that. I'm going to, I'm going to write that one down. Um, so you, you mentioned Willow and mm -hmm. you were going to do some weaving. Are you going to do like a waddle like fence? Is that what your plan is? No, this is, uh, it is not me. It's not my plan, but my wife is, so there's a way to grow them where they grow up like reeds essentially for kind of like basket weaving or more craft weaving. But I know that, you know, there are people that use these to make like little structures and, you know, things like, things like that. Probably that's probably what it'll end up being. Okay. Um, both my wife and I have like, I graduated with a, uh, with a degree in drawing, painting and printmaking. Um, and my wife went to art school and or studied art in school and we both have art art background and are very interested in making things with our hands and you know for in in different craft ways and in different like i guess right. fine fine art ways as well so i've been like messing around carving spoons and other amateurish stuff but you know it's like really fun it's 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 like if I can sit around at night and with a piece of wood and uh, you know chip away at it and make something kind of beautiful and funky looking, like yeah. it's that's a night well spent. So I I I enjoy that. We so we're kind of just getting into like all the things that we might be able to do out here. What well, what are the things that we might produce that are food, and what are the things that we might produce that are uh, materials to to create useful things with or beautiful things with, um, you know, at some point i really want to build some goofy cabin up in the, on the mountainside. It's like one of those goofy. things. That, yeah. Like funky, like weird, you know, just not like functional, but just like eccentric, you know, weird, not, <laughs> not a box, but just like know, right. weird, weird shapes, weird functions. So we, so my wife and I had this idea before if we came Frank out here. Frank Lloyd Wright made a cabin. 
<laughs> no, no, more funky than that. Oh. <laughs> have you ever heard of uh this is not what I want to do, but have you ever heard of the uh House on the Rock? It's a it's kind of an attraction in Wisconsin. And it's it's a real spectacle now. But the origin of this is there was this guy, and I can't remember his name, and he um bought this piece of land in the bluffs in Wisconsin. And he and his friends started just building this structure and they kept building onto it. And pretty soon people people used to come up and walk up and ask to see it. And so they charged, started charging admission and it's, and it's turned into this like insane place. So there's the original house that you start the tour on, but then it's also become like this crazy weird museum of odd collectibles and weird stuff. Um, but I guess the inspiration there, the reason I think of it is like, you know, he just started, found this site and said, okay, well, what kind of structure just kind of plays along with this bluff in this area? And like, I'm going to make this weird, you know, sitting room where you go down below and there's all this stone above you. And, you know, I, I don't know, just interesting, interesting architectural elements. So I want to play around with stuff like that. Um, using the materials that I'm, are already out there. I'm not going to lie. This place looks awful. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I said it was a spectacle. Yes. Uh, okay. So for those, <laughs> those on the video. Um, if you're Midwestern, you might really know so it already. <laughs> look, look at, yeah. So I'm, I'm actually from Minnesota. Uh, so here's, I don't know. So that's the, the, that's the infinity room that comes out from the 218 feet long and it has 3,264 yeah. windows and is counterbalanced by 105 yards of concrete. That that's what, and then so there's the, like a the marketing is terrible. There, or something. there is a big fake. There's a lot of fake stuff. Yeah. The, the, the it's, it's sad. Like, how like poor. this looks, this looks gaudy. This looks awful. Uh -huh. It's pretty awesome though it's it's a spectacle you have to you have to enjoy spectacle i and, and exit is there it's a like, canoe there's a canoe in it <laughs> i think this one i think this one is like uh is it moby dick or something it's it's some it's a portrayal of something <laughs> it's it's so poorly uh demonstrated by these photos that i feel i feel sad that's it's the like infinity room when you're in japanese it, which is cool. but it's it's all not, over the place yeah it, yeah there's they, collections they of no... weird stuff it, it's just it's like a house see that's part of the original house that's it like, like someone with like adhd or something like built this thing exactly like, okay so we got this old so like this room looks cool i like this like I that's could, part of I, the original house yeah. i could live here um yeah uh, or the infinity room that would be kind of cool yeah that's weird that's just a collection of stuff so there's a bunch of it's it's see this is part of the house area well actually i think that's the entryway that's not the house area but anyway this is weird it's a weird place it's it's like a spectacle and all it's of like a sudden a it's a village yeah they've got a fake old main street and a pocket theory how big is this place oh it's you have to <laughs> They got a whole garden. You you couldn't you could probably walk through it in a, in a day if you like hoofed it, it. It would take me a whole day to see everything. Yeah, yeah. Jeez. <laughs> okay. Well. Okay. Well, I now I have I'll be to be honest. I feel slightly embarrassed. Um, 
Hey, but man, you can't help. I grew up going there. And it's like when you're a kid and you walk into a place like that, and it's just, it's like, the especially the original house, which they showed almost no pictures of, is you kind of come in there and it's like, you know, the ceilings are low and there's all that it's built around all the stone that's the side of the mountain. And that's what I think is inspiring to me. It's like the first house part is very site specific. And it's just like, how could you, when I think about it, it's like, how could you sort of meld like a structure that's useful and maybe like a, a retreat cabin where you've got like a bed and a place to write and, you know, a little sink or something. And then a beautiful view and you're part of the mountain and you you're pulling like i've got these spaces up on the side of the mountain that are like these beautiful huge rocks and stuff like that how can i take a space like that and start to play with building you know shelter and like a beautiful sort of solitary retreat you know yeah that would be uh, sweet so that's that's the kind of that's the, re <laughs> that's the reason i brought it up no but i like um, weird shit i like I like the weird, like, I don't want to live like a gaudy life, but I, I do like, I do enjoy, uh, over the top spectacle, you know, as, as sort of a, uh, you know, like a spectacle, something to see something that's over the top. <laughs> um, I once saw Adam Savage at a maker fair and he's one of part of his little speech He's like, you can't help what you're inspired by, <laughs> even if it's weird. Um, so that's true. Uh, you know, do, do you do you, whatever, <laughs> whatever you want. What's so funny is like, we're like, we're totally the opposite of gaudy in any way, but I just, I like to see it sometimes, you know, I just like to see. Like, I don't know, growing up, like going to a museum and, and like, I remember being just enthralled by all of the like, or elaborate, you know, suits of armor with all the pounded, you know, decoration sure. and all that stuff. It's like, it's like that. Just, I don't know, crafts, craft in detail, but I know a lot of that wasn't craft in detail. <laughs> that was just someone having fun. And you know what? That's okay. I've, it's that's crazy right. that I've never heard of that place before. Um. Hmm. People people go there to get married. And <laughs> people go to a lot of weird places to go. No. <laughs> no. Um, where were we? Uh, uh that's okay. Well, I don't know. We'll, we'll get this back stuff. on. We'll get this back <laughs> on track. Um so Let's talk about some stuff that worked that you, that you tried and worked it worked well. Uh, did your pawpaws make it after you planted them? Um, most most have most, most have, have okay. Yeah. Um, so I think we planted ten, and I think there are seven that are very healthy now. Um, part of the issue was that we two two of them we gave very little chance because we kind of ran out i ran out of energy mm. to, to make these terraces on this hillside which is like i didn't even i had no idea what i was getting into but we kind of we wanted to build these like six by six foot squares um that would be fenced off because we have deer everywhere so that's one of the challenges with it with growing any of these trees is that i can't just dig a hole and put a tree there 
you know, first of all, I can't just dig a hole because half of what I'm hitting is rock. And mm -hmm. so that's I'm one, familiar. that's the first challenge, you know? And then beyond that, like putting something in the ground, it's got to be protected from the deer. Cause especially like right this year is crazy. We have um, so many deer and if whatever's not in a fence is getting nibbled on or destroyed completely. So, mm. so it's not just planting a tree. It's like, okay, I've got to build this six by six terrace you know, into the hillside to do this stuff. And I, I ran out of steam and then we ended up planting a couple of them really lazily in a spot with no protection. And we translated them, transplanted them the next year. Surprisingly, they made it through the winter, uh, but then they didn't make it too long this year. So mm -hmm. I lost two that way. And then I lost another one through whatever means. So um, I think we're, I think we're doing all right there. Um, all the cherry trees we planted, um, are thriving. All the peach trees we planted are thriving. We lost um, a couple of wild chestnuts to root rot, which again was probably due to our neglect getting them in the ground fast enough. Um, and then we have some hybrid chestnuts that are doing well. So, you know, and all the berry, all the berry bushes that we planted are doing well. So it's just, I don't know. A lot, most of what we've lost has been due to some kind of neglect, you know, like the, the, how do we get them in the ground fast enough, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it can be one of those things where it's like, well, they're sitting, they're sitting on the deck and they're waiting for us and, you know, we're going to do it this such and such night. And then this thing comes up or I have to work late. And then it, and then the next day it's pouring rain and, you know, it's like, and pretty soon you're eight days in and it's like, we got to get these trees in the ground <laughs> or we're, we've lost our trees, you know? Yeah. That's, that's a lot of what um, we've encountered. So I want, you know, like, I think ideally I would be the kind of person who could say, okay, we, you know, we know we're going to plant this many trees and I'm going to build all these spaces for them. And, and then, then we'll order them and they'll come and it'll all just, happen in a really pretty way and that's it's, a nice dream you have no i mean that's that's how it could happen in my mind but the reality of the situation is that we're dealing we're constantly overwhelmed with stuff that we have to do you know i've got stuff on my list that has been on my list since march that hasn't been touched because right there's always this order of priority like you know there's probably at the top is like an animal will die if I don't do this, you know? Mm -hmm. And then below that is like some kind of tree or plant that's important is going to die, or we're not going to be able to harvest if I don't do this, you know? <laughs> so, and then, and then there's the land stuff where it's like, you know, no one can drive up my driveway because the rain washed it all out and I need to solve that so that we can, use our driveway or you know there's all there's you're all putting out fires and not uh <laughs> exactly. building up the infrastructure to actually get to where you want you're yeah. con you're just playing catch up all the time i get it yeah yeah and i've had you know i've had i have i have a lovely lawnmower but i it's like i have not it has not been running at full capacity all year because i keep breaking it as soon as i fix it and um and that alone is just a challenge uh, just to stay on top of that. Because here, you know, I know there's a lot of drought 
in the United States, but I could use like a couple of days where it won't rain. I mean, we have been sat like oversaturated where I'm at right now. We it's mm. been raining. I mean, things aren't like we're probably okay. Things aren't dying, but it's just uh there's rain every day. And it's like a few hours of rain every day, and then it's super humid, and then the next day there's gonna be a few hours of rain. And you might get one day when there's none, but the ground has not been dry here in weeks. And so it's just, you know, if my mower's not working on the one day it's dry, then <laughs> I might not be able to use it. You know, I might have an opportunity to mow for another week or, you know, right. or whatever it might be. Uh, so I, that's been a bit of a struggle. <laughs> just, just trying to do stupid things like stay on top of, mowing a path so that it's easier to get to the garden or it's easier to um, do whatever it might be. One of the coolest things this year though, that, that I didn't take advantage of last year is we have an enormous amount of wild blackberry brambles are on our property. And last year I went out and picked a few, but it, there was, it was such our whole our property was so overgrown that it was like just even getting to stuff like that was it was just harder to find and harder to get to and this year um i was like i want to pick as many blackberries as i possibly can and i think next year i can do more but you know we picked about probably over 10 pounds of really nice tasting wild blackberries nice and um made some jam and jelly and have some other stuff in the freezer that I need to do some, some with, but that's, that's really been cool because it's like, we didn't do anything to get, to get that, you know, I, I mowed a path to get out there and I trimmed a little bit so my kids could go out without, you know, being over their heads and thorns. But, um, you know, it, that's the kind of stuff living out here. That's really cool. Is just, there's things that you don't even, that you can just, enjoy without working too hard for you know go out go out an hour every few days and pick a couple pounds of blackberries while they're in season yeah. it's pretty it's pretty cool pretty cool yeah do more of that yeah do you do you hunt at all i don't yet <laughs> okay i was just curious uh, with all the your all the deer you have yeah no i plan i would like to take a deer this fall um but i need to do all the things that I would need to do to kill a deer and, and process it. Um, I've got a couple of good neighbors that are happy to help me, but yeah, it won't. <laughs> I could shoot a deer from my deck, you know, many w without having to be a very good shot. I mean, I could, there, <laughs> I could throw a rock at a deer, if it was, you know, and hit it on any given day. So, right. um, at least the first year until they're scared of me, I think it'll be pretty easy to, to, to take something out here. That is, it is interesting how that works. Um, it used to like, we used to have deer just like all over, like I, it wouldn't be weird to have like 10 deer in my yard at any given time. Um, and I don't even have that big a yard. I'm only on two acres, but the guy up the hill, who's on a bigger lot. Uh, he and his buddies like shot like three or four of them or something like that. And they have been very like 
skittish since then and very like mm-hmm. um i don't know they not not as like free range i guess they're like oh whoa like we should probably be careful i think that's, that's how it learned. is yep this this area that we live in like well the lady who lived in our house before us she used to feed them and um so i think they got a habit of coming around here but there's also i mean there are some people that hunt in the kind of along the road where i live but not too many and so i think they see the houses that are up here as sanctuaries um like there's Mm -hmm. they they're all almost always asleep on the pasture that's closest to my house like if i go out late with a headlamp it's like all the glowing eyes are looking at me, uh, which freaked me out the first time I saw that. <laughs> walking down, walking down the hill, and my headlamp sweeps, and it's like all these sets of eyes, and I'm like, "What the fuck is that?" <laughs> <laughs> do you guys have that many? Do you you have uh, many predators where you are? There are I, there are definitely wild dogs and coyotes and foxes. Uh, there are. There are bear up here too. I we I have not seen any, but um, last year our neighbor saw one walking up walking down through our pasture along the creek um, a couple of times last year. This year I haven't. I know people who live up further on the mountain um, see it a little bit more often, uh, but there definitely are predators. My my our good friends who are neighbors of ours down the way. Um, they had coyote take um, some of their ducks and some of their chickens oh, that they free range. Um, but they have a, they have a donkey now that seems to take care of everybody. Um, Good. Now, but yeah, so I haven't had anything taken. I do. I run a tractor and then I run a, a polyelectric poultry fence around it. Um, and so far so good, but I'm just, I'm waiting for the day when I go out and it's it's a bloody mess. I only ask because uh, we have very different experiences, uh, you and I. When you go, you step outside and you see glowing eyes at you. Oh, you see it. You see different glowing eyes. Uh, it's <laughs> it's so far. It's always been deer, but last year I caught on my doorbell camera a mountain lion on my on my front porch and it stole my shoe you're kidding no no it like it's gone completely my shoe is gone uh it ran (laughs) away with it um i have it on my youtube if anybody wants to check that out uh just mountain lion stole my shoe um and so when i go outside and i see eyes like my heart like just just like jumps out my chest for a second i'm like i'm trying to like figure out like the outline of like where like okay is that a dumb deer yeah okay that's a dumb deer ah good I know that so. when uh there's a I like to do a fire outside um because we have like an out garage that it's kind of like half pinball arcade and half my tools and outdoor stuff um and then so I have a fire pit out there. And I like to do that at night, but man, there'll be a lot of nights when at a certain point, the wild dogs or coyotes start yelping up the mountain. And it's like, I, I can sit there and I can know, you know, with almost full certainty, 
that I'm completely 100% safe where I'm at. But at the same time, there is no, like my body cannot allow me to have my back to the mountain at that point. I stand up and I move to the other side of the fire and I'm like, okay, <laughs> I, I'm going to have to stand here until they quiet down. Cause it's, it's blood curdling. I mean, it's frightening as hell when they all get going. It's a, uh, you know, it's a, there's a primal sense of like, this is, I'm not in the right place. <laughs> if I'm right. hearing this sound. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so in your short experience, uh, uh, this will be an interesting, uh, interesting answer. What's been the biggest challenge in homesteading that you faced? I mean, that's a, that's a tough one. So I think, I think probably the biggest challenge is just managing the overwhelm of everything. So it's not so much that like any one of the tasks that are before me, you know, some are harder or more complex than others. Some require a lot of learning or, or a bit of study or trial and error. Some, some are very simple. None of them are, you know, do I feel like are insurmountable on their own, but it's the stacking of everything. It's like, like okay, getting off the ground. No, not uh, get, I'm good at getting started, but it's just, it's kind of like, okay. Uh, yeah. The, the, the chickens getting, getting a place for the chickens is a great example. So, you know, I, I, when I, when I graduated from college, I worked rough carpentry for a couple of years in Chicago and um, I've done different kinds of woodworking since then. So I'm not some kind of great carpenter, but I can build things very handily and it's not a problem, but I've got to, so I've got to build this chicken tractor to get a space for the chickens that's great but at the same time um you know i've i'm behind on getting the garden beds ready for what my wife wants to plant and what she has ready and then at the same time um what else was happening there's something else you know whatever it is something else is happening and i've got work and i've got so it's like it's the it's the amount of stuff and there can be a pressure i there can just be a pressure where it's like, there's just no, I cannot get all this stuff done. And I think that, I think the, the heart, I think the kind of one of the hardest things is to try and figure out, okay, I've got all this ambition as a new homesteader. There's all these things that I want to accomplish. I want to be growing and harvesting my own food and just having to say, okay, we are letting go of the garden this year. I'm, I can't go prepare the place because I'm not recovered from my surgery and I can't be as physical as I want to be. And so we're just going to have to let all that ambition go for this year. Cause if it doesn't get done by a certain point, it's just not going to get done, but we have tomatoes and tomatillos and peppers out there and that's lovely, but it's not, it's not anywhere near what we had envisioned and planned. Mm -hmm. um, and that was one of those situations where I, like I said before, it's like, well, do I want all these animals to die or 
do we not want to plant a garden? You know, it's like, there's just so much time that I've got and that my wife has. And, you know, so I think that's been the hardest thing is just to say, okay, we, we want to do it all. And we want to, we wish we would have moved out here, you know, five years, 10 years, 20 years ago, so that we could be on year five, 10, 20 here instead of year one. But we're here at year one and there we just got to let we take on too much stuff sometimes we got to let some stuff go and it's i think that's been one of the hardest things is just trying to figure out how to do everything and i know i mean i know just from talking to everybody who's doing anything like this it's like it's there are some seasons where it's not as busy but for the most part like you're working by a headlamp you're you know you're up you're up working in the morning before work and then you're working if you have a full-time job like that. And then it's, then it's like, you know, for me, a lot of times it's like, well, I like to do the cooking. So like, I'll do a lot of, I'll do cook for the kids and then I'll be out back outside working or I'll take the night off because I've got to go build, do a building project or cut some logs or, you know, chip some wood or whatever thing I need to do. And, uh, you know, it's it could be exhausting but it's awesome (laughs) i you know there a lot of times there'll be some thread around where people are like well how you know why would you want to do something like that it you know don't you know that's hard work and it's like i mean that's part of what i want out of it (laughs) i want to i want to go and i want to work and i want to feel tired and i want to use my body and you know um it's that's part of the joy of it, I think, is is being outside, sweating like a pig, and getting eat up by bugs, and kind of come up, come back in all sweaty and tired. You feel good about what you've done. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Would you say that that's the best part about homesteading? Is the sense of accomplishment? I think so. Um, I mean, I think a big part of what I like about this is what we're, you know, the experience that we're providing for our kids too. Um, so I have five, I actually have five kids. I, we, I have three, I have three older boys. Uh, my oldest is a senior in college this year. Um, so, you know, they had, they grew up in the city and with, re- you know, raised really well. And they were actually homeschooled by my ex-wife for a while. And, um, but it's a different kind of life and especially now i think because of the way uh, the way sort of constant open internet and social media and just sort of the way that technology is right now um we we're really purposeful about raising um the two little kids with this sort of embodied um, sort of hands-on material um, sort of life and being out in nature and interacting with animals and having the experience of growing your own food. And like when we were, I was talking about picking berries and my son and I went out the first day, I was doing this whole, I was inspired by, um, gosh, what's his, I don't know what's handle is, is it Tom Ruby or something? He was posting about this, about making cordials or herbal 
cordials and i know nate who you talked to picked it up and he made some mulberry one and i was like well i'm gonna make some blackberry one and i'm gonna forage herbs too and so my son and i went out one day we went out and just went through the whole property and foraged like all found all the kind of edible herbs and different plants that we could use to to make an infusion and you know we, we collected all this stuff and then we went and picked the blackberries and then we picked some rhubarb and uh when we came back in we made jam we made a blackberry rhubarb jam and it's like it sounds cool his I've never heard of that before oh it's it's delicious i i just made it because i'm like the blackberries they need a little they need a little something sour so we just when i have a couple of patches of rhubarb that the lady who lived here before kept and we have a lot of rhubarb so i was like you know what? we're gonna do this and uh, it turned out awesome but that experience, so you said, is that satisfaction that what I get the most out of it. But it's even more important to me is watching our son or our daughter have the same experience. And so he's like, he was out there with me and we picked all this stuff and the blackberries and the rhubarb. And then we cooked it up together and we canned it together. And then he's, you know, he's like for the next many, many days, he's like making toast in the morning and putting his jam on it from the food that we grew on, you know, or picked or foraged on yeah. our land that we cooked together. And it's just, he was able to see the whole cycle. And that's the kind of, I don't know, that's the cool, that's the cool stuff. Yeah. Uh, it is, is kind of lighting them up on that. Um, so that's, I guess that'd be the thing that I like probably best is like, what kind of what we're trying to do with the kids and with the family out here. It's perfect. It's the way it should be. So I like it. I like it. We were, we were talking before we started recording uh, about your hobby, restoring (laughs) old pinball machines. And you're telling me about all the intricate parts and all the, all the detail that you put into it. Um, And you say that like the troubleshooting like is related to homesteading. So like, can you, can you explain that to somebody? Like, yes. How is that? So, um, I think the thing for me is, is through, so I, I, I've done part of my job and what I've done is, is related to project management. So I'm not like totally organizing a big complicated project. Isn't foreign to me. It's kind of natural to me, but, the thing about a pinball machine is just there's so many parts it's so complex so if you're taking a you're completely taking apart a a pinball machine and putting it back together the amount of things you need to keep track of the amount of things that you need to learn so you know metal like working with metal um polishing metal doing uh, like um I, i did i learned how to put on an automotive clear coat um you know i did there was uh, I've, I've done, I've had things 3d printed for me. Um, there's just all kinds of different weird processes that I've used in the restoration process, you know, learning schematics, learning how to solder, which I never did before. Um, doing a little bit of soldering on circuit boards, but mostly just big wires on, on solenoids in the, in the pinball machine. But these there's, it's so complicated that it required a really required me to make a create kind of a whole system 
for organizing very complicated projects with weird dependencies. And, um, and it really relates to a lot of the homesteading st stuff because, you know, for example, I might have like, okay, I've got these eight different mechanisms that are, that I'm replacing and restoring on this pinball machine. And so for each one of them, I've got like, do I need to buy any parts? You know, like, are there, is, is, are parts holding me up? And so, you know, that'd be like the first thing I call out. And then I have to figure out what those parts are and how do I order them? Where, where can I find them? What are the pros and cons of different replacements, all that stuff. And that it's like super direct into kind of a DIY scene or any of this homesteader stuff, because it's like, okay, well, I've got chickens. What are my options for chickens? Like, okay, there's all kinds of different coops that I could build. There's not now that, you know, there's all kinds of different tractors that I could build. What are the pros and cons of each of the tractors? Oh, it says I need to buy this kind of wire thing. Well, how do I find that? what is it called and where do I source it? And am I going to have to get that shipped? And, you know, like, is there any alternative for that? It's it, on and on and on, but the, but kind of taking on an enormous project, like completely tearing down and rebuilding a pinball machine and finishing it and having the end result be like a pinball machine that is in many ways plays better than it ever probably has in its entire life um, because of the attention I've given it to, gave me an enormous sense of confidence to take on pretty much anything because it's like, yeah. if I can do, if I can do that, I can, you know, I can figure this out, you know? And so when it, so we moved out here, it's like, well, I need to start cutting down trees. I've never used a chainsaw in my life. What chainsaw do I need? And what are the pros and cons of different ones? And I think I probably should have gotten a better chainsaw. Um, but, you know, I did learn how to, <laughs> use a chainsaw and cut down many, 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 many trees and limbs and so forth. Um, you know, and you know, like I, like this year, um, I wanted to, I got a scythe so that I could do, um, so I could cut some grass, like kind of on demand for our rabbits and some other things that I wanted to do without fuel and getting stinky. Cause as much as I, and because you broke your lawnmower. Well, that actually came in handy. I did a whole pasture scything while my lawnmower was broke. <laughs> but I do like, you know, anyway, the, po the point is there's there's so much to learn, like in any of these things. And as you know, you start getting into this and everybody's got their opinion about the best way to do it. And so it's just like any kind of research where it's like, okay, there seem to be these three schools of doing it. Well, what are the pros and cons of each one? And what what is what is the scale that so and so is working at versus so you know versus this other person? Or um, you know what infrastructure do they already have in place that makes that a really obvious answer for them and a terrible answer for me? You know, like all these different ways to look at these problems, and there's just no way not to make mistakes. And I think uh, like so, I do my job as product manager for. Um, for a software company. And so, you know, there are these often much maligned processes that are generally, re you know, referred to as agile development processes. And I don't really want to get into that because it's, there's pros and cons of everything. But one of the things that I've, that I've learned through doing tons and tons of development projects is the value of working in an iterative cycle. So instead of saying, okay, I'm going to, make it so that I get it perfect when 
I step out, I'm going to do enough to sort of make it functional and then I'm going to improve it as I go along and I'm going to learn faster. You know, there's this idea of failing fast, so you learn. And so that kind of has being so much of my daily life um, throughout my career has really informed the way that I approach a lot of these homestead things uh, where it's like, okay, well, okay, we're going to do this thing. I don't know what the permanent thing is, but here's how we can get started and learn a little bit and then grow from that or pivot because we realized like, I don't want to breed Angora rabbits. I, I think my wife and I agree, like we want to breed them again because we'd like a better female. We don't really like our female. Um, and, but, uh, but I, then I think we're going to go down to, you know, having three rabbits, probably three Angoras, and then occasionally swapping them out through a breeding process. Like I don't want many, many Angoras. They're a pain in the ass to, to, um, you know, to maintain, uh, and groom. And I just like, it's not worth it to me. (laughs) It's like having a dog that you can't play fetch with is what it sounds like. (laughs) But they, you know what? I got to tell you, they are the ones that we've raised that have grown up like with handling and people um, are their temperaments are really nice. They are, they're kind of nice, but they're, it's a lot more like pets, you know? Right. And, uh, but yeah, I don't, I realize I don't want to do that. So I'm glad I didn't build out the be all end all rabbit system. You know what I mean? I think that's the, the point is like kind of dipping your toe in and seeing, okay, what about this? Or what about this? Or like we, where we built our garden has some positives because it's close to the house and it has a good, it has a good sun situation, but it's also after having planted there and having kind of worked with the soil, it's probably also not the most fertile, best place that's going to make the most productive garden for us. There are some other places on our land that might be a little further away, but if we were doing a large scale garden, it would probably be a lot more productive. So, you know, kind of learning as you go and saying, okay, this might be good for this, but when I want to expand and do something bigger, I think I'm going to go to this area. Sure. Um, that kind of, that kind of like continuous improvement stuff, I think is that mindset is really good because you know, we work with our kids a lot on this, like kids. And I, like, I want this too, is like, I want to be like, okay, I'm going to get this project done today and it's going to be perfect. <laughs> you know, I'm going to build a bookcase today from soup to nuts. I'm going to go to the, the lumber store and I'm going to buy everything I need. And they're going to have the perfect boards and I'm going to pick out all the hardware that I need. And then I'm going to come home and I'm going to cut it and I'm going to fit it together and it'll be done before dinner, you know, and that's never going to happen. <laughs> So if you think it's, if you really expect that it's going to, if you truly expect that that's going to happen, then you set yourself up for kind of a sense of failure instead of saying, okay, what can I move forward today? What's reasonable? Like, how can I push myself without setting myself back the next day? (laughs) Like, how do you, how do you manage all that? It's right. It's, it's hard not to have the attitude, like what's going to F me today. (laughs) Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's, maybe it's through work and just having to, having to reckon with the fact that, uh, you know, deadlines are hard to make because all the unknowns. Um, But I do, I do think that I'm more acclimated to not 
having unrealistic expectations, you know? Right. Um, but, yeah, but it's still be pessimistic either though. No, like yeah. I'm like, sh I'm like shooting for it, but it's like, you know, if I don't, if, if I'm working my ass off and things are going reasonably well, maybe that's going to happen. But, you know, if like a tool breaks, I don't have, you know, it turns out I can't, like I was building this stupid thing for a rabbit, for the rabbit cages to like make them in a vertical stack. And it's like, it's a 30 minute woodworking project. It's nothing. But, you know, we had moved here not too long, not, you know, not, it hadn't been long since we had moved there. And I go to build it. It's like, I can't find my screws anywhere. I can't find a, a single damn screw, you know? And so it's like, okay, well, I'll use nails, even though in this situation, it's going to be a little more rickety and it's probably not what I would do. Then I can't find the stinking hammer. And so I've, I'm like two hours into just trying to find pieces for a project that really should have taken 20 to 30 minutes and would have taken 20 to 30 minutes if I actually knew yeah. where everything was. And that's the kind of stuff that happens. And then when you live in rural, like going to Lowe's is going to be, it's an hour and a half trip. I mean, sure. well, it's 30 plus minutes to get there. And however long I spend there, 30 plus minutes to get back. For some people who live rural, that's close. But it's still, you know, it's still, that's an hour and a half. And um, that, that'll kill, you know, when you're working on the edges of time, you know, um, that turn, that ends up being a big chunk of Saturday or a whole evening oh, yeah. or, you know, whatever it is, which can, which can really be a setback. So I'm trying to build up like better organization. We're still unpacking and, um, right. and, and I think we're, especially in the area of like food we've kind of figured out like what are the stuff that we're going to have lots of in the house because we never want to run out you know and um we bought like bought half a hog uh and then i bought a quarter of a, a cow so we've got a nicely stocked meat situation in the, in the freezer and so when the afternoon hits and it's like, oh, what's for dinner tonight? It's like, okay, I've got stuff I can pull out of the freezer. <laughs> you know? That's always that's always a great feeling, yeah. <laughs> it is, it is. So I, I don't know, I don't know where I was going with any of that, but um, life. That's okay. It's normal. It's it's just life. It's the, yeah. you know, it's all the household stuff. When we were in the city, though, I mean, I lived in Chicago for twenty over twenty years. I mean, it's very easy to get into a situation where it's like, you know, I leave when I worked in the city, I, uh, we were, we were on the far West side of Chicago proper near a suburb called Oak park. Um, and you know, my commute the last several years was I get up, I get on a commuter train around seven or seven 30 and I'm taking a 25 minute ride downtown. And then I've got a 20 minute walk to my office and then I'm working until six or so. And then I'm going to get home, get back on a train and I'm going to walk in my house at seven 50 or seven 30, or if I got off really early, maybe it's six 45 when I'm walking in the house and then it's dealing with the kids. And if my wife has had a busy day or this and that, it's like, what's for dinner. And it's like, Oh, I guess it's Thai food, you know, and it's like call the Thai place and then drive over 10 minutes to Thai place and have some beautiful food. But it's not, 
you know, it's just a, it's just a totally different mm -hmm. thing and it's not healthy. It's just, I mean, for the most part, it's just not a healthy way of living. I do miss my train rides though, because that was a nice time for reading and studying um, sure. that I have, that I have a harder time making time for. I was, I, I'd been doing it so long. I was like, I'd get on the commuter train and then my morning time would be my nonfiction reading, studying time. And then my evening time would be either reading or listening to, you know, podcast or fiction book or something like that. And I kind of had a real flow, but um, yeah, I don't miss, I don't miss those aspects of it at all. I commuted like that for about 20 years. And, um, now I work from home and my commute's really short. It's, <laughs> there's a bedroom door right back there. This is my office. <laughs> yeah, but look at, look at what you got now. Um, wrapping up here, and we touched on this uh, a little bit already, not too long ago. What would you tell people that want to get started? Oh, I would just say get started. <laughs> find a little place. Like I, you know, we, uh, you know, I'm older and we have, you know, a good career and we have, we had some money to work with, you know, so we were able to get something pretty big, uh, pretty big space in the mountains. That's really beautiful. But, um, you know, I think there's a lot you could do with a lot less and there, you know, the reality is, you know, I've got 30 acres, 20 of it, I never walk in. And we, we, our operations right now exist on probably about four out of 10 acres that are in front. I mean, eventually we'll be using a lot of that. Um, mm -hmm. And that's our ambition, but, you know, we could be, we could have a 10 times bigger garden and, you know, more chickens that we have on three acres that are well laid out, you know? Um, yeah. so finding, so, you know, we're always, I'm all, you know, I'm looking, I'm all the time looking at real estate just out of curiosity, but, you know, finding a place, um, that has some water, some kind of a water source that, with a decent climate that, you know, that has some workable land in a house that you might be able to live in or restore or some land that you might be able to, build a house on or whatever it might be. I mean, that's not out of reach. Um, it doesn't have to be out of reach if you want it. Um, right. Yeah. So I, I think it's more about just going for it and start where you are. Um, and then there's great people that talk about, you know, like you, if you're interested in homesteading, just start doing a lot of the stuff you'll need to do wherever you're at, like preserving food and learning how to make your own stuff or starting with certain types of um you know whether it's whether you have space for backyard chickens or i know there's like people in urban areas that keep quail i mean there's all kinds of things that you could do to kind of start pushing in a direction before you have land but I, I mean i guess it's just get serious about getting started and you know find a place where you can exercise these muscles and, you know, it doesn't have to be a forever place. It could be a place that you put 
you're, you know, that you cut your teeth on and you put some time into, and then you yeah. learn and decide, you know what, I want a bigger place. Or, you know what, I always thought I wanted a bigger place, but this is more than enough. <laughs> and I don't need, you know, 20 acres or a hundred acres or whatever it might be. Sure. Um, there's a lot of people doing really cool stuff with fairly small amounts of land. Yeah. Yeah. Some of them are even more productive than people that have bigger tracks oh, because they absolutely. have to maximize the space that they have. And it's really cool what they can pull off. Yeah. So. Yeah. But I think you just get started. Be out, get out of your, get off your computer, get out of your land. I mean, I love, I, there are things I loved about Chicago. Um, when I visit now, I don't, I don't, enjoy it as much as i used to <laughs> sure. i'm like i want to go home well now that you're a conservative <laughs> oh yeah no, it's, like, uh, <laughs> it's like it's surrounded by all this blue stuff everywhere no <laughs> well, i think hey, you know there... i think most people are decent people is what i would say yeah. you know and it's one of the things that's nice about living out here i think people are generally just like not it's kind of like we don't talk about a lot of that stuff with neighbors you know it's mm -hmm. like you're good people and and we're good people we help each other out and we care about you know a lot of the same things and that's when you're actually dealing with people face to face it's a lot of the stuff that i guess gets gets a lot of traction online is just gone sure you know yeah, Not my, uh, my next door neighbor and I, uh, we get along pretty well. Uh, we couldn't be more different politically, and we have never spoken politics. I only know his politics from when I had Facebook, and he would, uh, you know, share whatever political stuff on Facebook. I'm like, oh, huh, huh. Never, we just never talk about it, and it's not weird yeah <laughs> it turns out you don't have to talk about it imagine that well you know and if you're like the neighbors that we have around here it's like everybody's interesting you know like mm -hmm. there was a there was a party recently and it's like i had so many good conversations and i was like you know we've we sort of have all self-selected for this kind of a lifestyle so it's in one sense, it's like really surprising to have a lot of great conversations with mm -hmm. people that I don't know very well. Um, and then at the same time, it's not that surprising because there's we're all weirdos that wanted to move to the mountains and be That's away the from people. Yep. <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. So, yeah. Well, hey, was there um, anything else that you wanted to touch on that we didn't get to or? Um... Anything? No, I've just had a good time talking. I wasn't sure Same. how, I mean, I wasn't sure. I just knew it was probably going to be a good conversation and it was. So that's all I ever want is a good conversation. Good. If people listen, they listen. Um, but I'm here and I like it. So whatever. Yeah. I had fun. I, this, yeah. is a, this is a great way to spend the evening. Yes. I, uh, I appreciate your time uh, being here and looking forward to staying in touch. Uh, absolutely and we'll 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 have you on again at some point i'd also like to come out and check your place out looks cool oh just, please do just from this hallway i'm seeing uh looks looks cool 
It's a lot of wood. A lot of wood it's inside. A lot of wood. <laughs> a lot of wood. I can see that. They it's very wood heavy, but that's cool. That's that's a yeah. that's a nice flex. Um, I can't I can't complain. Can't complain. Perfect. <laughs> well, hey man, it was uh it was good meeting you and uh yeah. we'll we'll stay in touch. All right, take care. Thanks. Thanks. Great conversation with Ben. Interesting perspective on being only a year into his 30-acre homestead coming from a city garden. Thanks for watching, everyone. Please leave a comment, like, subscribe, and most importantly, share this video. You can check us out on Fountain FM Podcast Player. You'll love it. And if you don't, you can send me all, all your Satoshis you earn just by listening to your favorite podcasts and supporting those podcasters. Check out our website, farmhoplife.com. You can sign up for our email list or Telegram channel there to be notified when new videos, interviews, and podcasts are available. We are on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, MeWe, and Float. You can email me anytime, matt at farmhoplife.com. And you can go uh, check out our 20 by 23 project where we're going to help out 20 homesteads in 2023. And I'm always looking for new people to interview. If you want to come on to talk about homesteading, farming, food security, homeschooling, regenerative agriculture, alternative building methods, or anything else, pitch me an idea. Go to farmhoplife.com slash guest. Go feed yourself. Inside of the city, the people are crazy. Out of their minds, they ain't got a clue. We gone away, headed west for Montana. Left family and friends, all I got now is you. We both got new jobs, a host and a homestead, thinking this was the life, all that there'd be. After our firstborn, you had to stay home. That's when the work got in the way for me. Well, I started farm hop life. You'll come to your farm to help and to and an RV send us a message and there 